This is Making Shift Happen, and I'm your host, Jen Cates. Over the years, I've coached hundreds of clients to find their ideal self through the way they nourish their bodies and minds, and now I'm here to help pass on these same strategies to you. So let's stop the madness and get your results once and for all. Let's go. This is Jen Cates with Making Shift Happen, and today I'm really excited about this particular interview because I have Dr. Christina Holland with me, and she is certainly a favorite with my clients as well as myself, Um, but she is someone who is in my referral network for PTs in the area, in the Denver area in particular, but she has seen clients of mine all throughout the U.S. uh, with virtual visits and things like that. But today we're going to be talking about all things pelvic health. (laughs) We have a few topics that we're going to cover, but first of all, I do want Christina to go ahead and just, you know, introduce yourself to the listeners. So take it away. Yeah. I'm Dr. Christina Holland and I am a pelvic floor physical therapist. I have my own private practice in Denver called Inclusive Care, and I work with people across the gender identity spectrum who are having issues with pelvic floor dysfunction, and I help people feel confident in their ability to live without leaking and have pleasurable sex. Excellent. Those are obviously things that I think everyone would want (laughs) in terms of just, I don't know, living life. Now I'm curious. So why did you choose pelvic floor PT? Um, Yeah, that's a good question. I was trying to teach an undergraduate anatomy and physiology course when I was in physical therapy school so I could get a tuition stipend because hashtag student loans. And um, I realized that these 18-year-olds in Georgia to whom I was going to teach reproductive anatomy and phys um, may have never heard the word fallopian tube before. And it was going to come out of my mouth, like from my mouth to their ears for the very first time. And that felt very important to me. So I had been part of a sexual health education program when I was in college. And I reached out to my advisor from that time. Um, And basically through a whole series of events, got connected with the researcher who um, did the research that when you hear the pill, for example, is 98% effective, he's the person that designed those studies with all different types of contraception. So he randomly comped me into a, um, like a continuing ed course that I had no business being in. And just very casually, someone in that room mentioned pelvic floor physical therapy. I had never heard of it. I was in physical therapy school. Um, and I looked into it more and just haven't looked back since. Love it. Love it. Love, love it. Now, you know, my big thing is, and I, I try to, to inform my, my followers and, and my clients that I think The knee-jerk response is that pelvic floor PT is primarily just for women or those who identify as women, but really it's, it's applicable to everyone. And I'd love for you, you know, to talk about who may benefit from visiting a pelvic floor PT like you. Sure. So everyone has a pelvic floor. Like literally I've never met a person who doesn't have a pelvic floor. Um, and so that's really important because those it's a sling of muscles that runs from the front to the back of your bony pelvic bowl. And those muscles play a role in sexual function, bladder and bowel, both being able to toilet and empty completely as well as stay continent um, and in strength and stability, right? And actually some lymphatic roles as well. So all that to say like big freaking deal for something we never talk about. Um, so I see people who are either having painful intercourse, they may be having painful penetration, um, they may be having painful erections, they may be having painful arousal, um, painful orgasm, they may not be able to achieve mm. orgasm, they may have persistent genital arousal, um, 
They may have urinary incontinence. They may have urinary retention, constipation, um, constant like fecal leakage, in addition to, you know, pelvic organ prolapse, heaviness and feelings of um, something falling out of their pelvis, low back, hip, abdominal pain that doesn't resolve in, with other types of treatment. Normally people don't come to me for that first line. Um, but at some point, if you see enough people, someone will probably say you should go see a pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, so yeah, a whole, a whole slew of things. Yeah. It's, and to me, like listening to that list that you just, that you just said, there's a lot that I think, you know, people listening right now could identify with. Um, especially, you know, just thinking about people that I, I, I interact with regularly, you know, constipation, leakage of some sort, those are pretty common and, you know, low back pain. Hello, that's incredibly common. And, you know, I see that often with the athletes that I work with, uh, who come to me for, you know, some sort of guidance and, you know, to think that it could be that sling of muscles and other underlying things is really incredible. So that's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing yeah. And we didn't even really, I, I didn't even mention like the, the preparation things. Like if you wanted to have a, a certain type of pregnancy delivery or a rehab from that to like get back into higher level activity postpartum in a safe way, or if you were having a gender affirming surgery, so before or after, so, so many things, a hysterectomy, like there are lots of different medical procedures that you might want to get a pelvic floor physical therapist on board for as well. Nice. And would they come to you before that, you know, procedure and then during and then after, or what does that kind of look like? I know it obviously depends on the patient, but yeah, totally. In an ideal world, I would love to see people before they had any sort of surgical intervention because it gives us a good idea of what the, what the muscles are doing at baseline and like what, how things are working together um, on the front end and kind of maximizing that in sort of a prehab way, if you will, to be able to then undergo a, a significant event, right. With a surgical intervention. Um, and then know kind of what, where we were at from the beginning. So we can kind of head back in that direction, um, after, after the intervention as well. Certainly that happens less often than I would like because the medical system doesn't really focus on prevention. Um, but if people had the option, I, that would be ideal. Yeah. I know that's something that you talk about quite often on your, on your Instagram account, just in terms of like, you know, changes that the medical industry could take in terms of just greater preventative care. I think that's incredibly important, especially for me, you know, you know, you know, I'm on board with that just as a health coach, just like prevention, prevention, prevention as much as possible, you know, and I think, I think more needs to be said about that, you know, that and insurance. And of course that's a whole other rabbit hole we can go down, but I do have another question pertaining to what you just talked about. Um, because the most common question that I get as a trainer <laughs> is, you know, what can folks do about pelvic floor strengthening, you know, during pregnancy as well as postpartum that is hands down. And in fact, that's actually the main reason why I reached out to you, which I wanted to interview you anyways. Um, just because, you know, I love you to pieces and you're just a fantastic, uh, care, just, you're a fantastic person to have on someone's team, you know, and everyone I've sent to you just raves about you. So I just wanted to plug that in. Um, but you know, yeah, pelvic floor strengthening, you know, that is the number one question I get for during pregnancy as well as postpartum. So, you know, do you have any recommendations to enhance the experience of being pregnant? Sure. So one, I just want to say, we also just have the best time when we hang out. So I'm glad we get to do this. 
Um, yeah. yeah. Um, with so there's so much talk about strengthening the pelvic floor. Like, make sure it's super strong. Make sure it's super strong. Make sure it's super strong. The reality is, is that strength is not most people's primary issue with pelvic floor dysfunction. The primary issue most of the time is muscular coordination yeah. and how those muscles are interacting with and integrating with the whole system. Um, so certainly you being able to both. So if you think about pelvic floor, like an elevator, it should be able when you Kegel to come up to like level five, for example. Um, and then when you relax, it comes back down to lobby level. And then when you take a big deep breath mm -hmm. in, um, it should come down slightly down into the basement. So what I probably see most often is that people aren't even sitting at lobby level. They're sitting at like level two or three, getting up to level four or five, and then they're not able to get back down to lobby mm -hmm. or, or especially into the basement. So the tricky thing about that, though, is it's much less clear than like just doing Kegels, right? You're like, you can do all the Kegels in the world. But if you're only Kegeling like in this reduced range of motion, you're going to be hella strong in this singular range of motion and also hella tired and probably fatigue out when you want to do your your heavy stuff, your hard jumping, your hard landing, um, possibly sneezing and coughing, that sort of stuff. So the yeah. thing that I would say that is the most important is actually just making sure you can get yeah. through that whole range of motion, whether you feel comfortable checking yourself. Um, you can look on in a mirror and see if when you take a deep breath, your perineum, that spot between your vagina and your rectum, um, if those are the genitals that you have and identify with, um, comes sli down slightly towards the mirror. And then when you exhale and Kegel, it would come away from a mirror. Um, if you can actually see that too with someone, if you have, if you're a penis owner, um, you can look at your testicles and kind of check that area too. <laughs> penis owner. I just have to say that was fantastic. <laughs> hey, if you have a penis, you're a penis owner, right? Um, and that's the important thing that Christina and I talked about, you know, before we, we hopped on is just words that you use are incredibly important. And, you know, I know for, for me, I have some trans listeners as well as a, a slew of folks who identify with the alphabet mafia. So LGBTQIA plus, you know, uh, two-spirit individuals. And I think it's important to be as inclusive as possible. And I mean, with that being said, like you're incredible with this, you know, in terms of just inclusivity um, and just the work that you do with the community, especially the local trans community here in Denver. So I just wanted to go ahead and, and give you a shout out with that and all of your work it is very much appreciated. And, you know, that's, I think the importance of your, the name of your business, it's called inclusive care. And I think that it just, it really encapsulates that, you know, and I hope that the listeners really see that and just know that, you know, I even told Christina, Hey, if I mess up with any of the words today <laughs> during the interview, like correct me, because I think it's important to kind of use this as a little bit of a learning opportunity with, you know, being selective about the words that you are using just to be as inclusive as possible. So, so thank you. I just wanted to to uh to say thanks <laughs> no i super appreciate that um i feel very i feel very lucky and very grateful to get to do the work that i do and work with the folks that i do and like we all can i curse on your podcast yeah do we're already talking about penises involved okay good we all fuck it up sometimes <laughs> I know, but that, I mean, that's, that's anatomy, my friend. Yeah, um, yeah, no, we all fuck it up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, it, 
that is part of it and getting it wrong and identifying that you got it wrong, not making it about you and also like being open to critique and recognizing that when someone corrects you, it's actually such a gift, especially if they're correcting you about something that they identify with, because that shit is hard. It is like, it feels very personal. It feels very close. It's like about, it's about us and our identity. And so for someone at any point to say like, Hey, like that's not me. Um, I, this is who I am is, is such a gift. So I just, I think that that's great to mention because I think, especially in regards to pelvic floor stuff, we start to think about genitals and we start to think about gender. Um, but the reality is, is that genitals and gender are not the same and they're not even really connected. Um, sure. There's some overlap and there's also a lot of deviation. Definitely. We're all about the deviation, right? (laughs) But I think it's important, you know, just to kind of recognize that, yeah, we, we all fall on some sort of spectrum of some sort. And, and that's important. You know, I think that that's incredibly, uh, it's very intimate, you know, just based on how you identify and how you see yourself. And that's, that's who you want to present to the world. So, you know, this is my effort just to try to create a safe space or rather a safer space because I can't really say that my safe is my, my space is safe because that's up for someone else's to, for someone else to judge. Um, but yeah, with that being said, you know, another, another topic that you're really good at talking about is, you know, trauma informed consent and just, you know, obviously painful sex and how there is a little bit of, you know, like an overlap there. And, I feel like we really need to talk about this just because it is important. And I know that you have a, a great ebook that talks about painful sex that I would love for you to share and, and kind of talk a little bit more about. So, you know, I think it's important, especially for our listeners, if they are experiencing any painful sex, just to know that that there is the opportunity to reach out to Christina or reach out to someone else, you know, that's close to you. It's up to, totally up to you. But just know that Christina is there as uh, a resource, you know, should you ever want like even a virtual consult. But I'd love to have you chat about your ebook for a couple of minutes or however long you want. So, yeah, tell us. Sure. Is it okay if I talk about just yes. like painful sex and, and trauma oh, and like the connection things. first? So. Painful sex can totally happen outside of the context of sexual trauma or trauma of any kind. And also, there is a very large overlap um, for people who have experienced trauma, particularly of a sexual nature, and who also have painful intercourse. Um, And painful intercourse can be truly painful. It can also be intercourse that, like, makes you feel just deeply icky. Um, It can also be painful arousal, again, painful orgasm, really pain at, at any point. And so I often get this question that's like, okay, I've had trauma. Um, Is there any chance that I will have pleasurable sex again? And to those people, I say, absolutely. There is a lot of opportunity for healing and growth. Um, You just have to find the right people to put on your team. Um, And you have to be be ready to do the work because the other thing is that treating painful intercourse sometimes is like pretty simple and sometimes quite complicated. Um, And depending on what you are individually bringing to the table in terms of like just the time and willingness and like how important it is to you can really change the impact, the way um, that your kind of healing journey can go. But that can look like lots of different things. And that's really awesome. Um, Also, people, again, can have painful intercourse and not have had any trauma. So sometimes people like feel obligated almost to be like, Mm -hmm. I don't think I've had sexual trauma. Like I don't, to the best of my knowledge, like nothing bad has ever happened to me, but I'm still having this. 
Like, am I normal? Um, and to that, I say, yes, like that is totally, I, I won't say totally normal, right? We hope that that doesn't happen. Um, and it happens quite a lot. So all of that to say, anyone experiencing painful intercourse, like there are options for trying to make that different. Um, with that being said, the playbook for painless sex, I wrote and put together because I just felt like there's not a lot of information out there. And then when you start going down the Google hole of painful intercourse and what do I do about that, there's a lot of nonsense. Um, and so the playbook for painless sex is truly just like a list, kind of like an explanation of a bunch of different commonly strategies, strategies I commonly give to patients. Um, it's not really any of the why it's not like, this is why this will help. It's this is why this will help. It's like, this is what I try then this and this and this. And if you have, um, symptoms that feel like this thing, then you can go to pages six, 19, 24, 25, 82 or whatever. I don't know. I think it's 62 pages. Um, but to try and kind of navigate some of that to yourself, recognizing that not everyone has access, like can access a physical therapist, a pelvic floor physical therapist <clears throat> specifically, um, based on geographic location, based on um, financials, based on uh, yeah. like religious affiliations. There's lots of things that stop people from getting into see a pelvic floor physical therapist, levels of comfort, history of trauma, right? The list goes on. Um, and yeah. so this is a good starting point. Like it gives you, it kind of, it's kind of like the lower hanging fruit that you can try um, and see if it helps. And if it helps, amazing. And if not, then, you know, you've now know that you can, es you've kind of escalated in terms of what, where you can go. And then at that point, if you're, you might be more able and willing to try and get someone in person or virtually to be on your team. Yeah. And I think it's important just to have that like level of comfort with your practitioner and your healthcare professionals, you know, the people on your team, you have to have that level of comfort. And, you know, that is the biggest thing that I think my team comes to me about after they see you is just like, oh my gosh, Jen, you're right. You know, Christina's bedside manner was phenomenal. And that's where your trauma-informed consent and just how you approach your, your patients and with such great care during visits makes such a difference, you know, because you, you ask questions every step of the way. And I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit too. And just kind of like, what does a visit with Christina look like? You know, what does it look like from start to finish? A, let me go ahead and give her a shout out to her about her sheets. Her, her sheets are really, really soft. So <laughs> they're not like, like hospital <laughs> sheets or anything like that. They're incredibly soft and just the room itself and the office itself is incredibly welcoming. So yeah, take us through kind of what, what a visit with you would look like. Sure. So it always starts by me sending intake paperwork that people can fill out with all of the relevant information. I ask a lot of questions about bladder and bowel, toilet, like toileting practices, um, basically trying to seek out what symptoms someone might be having around intercourse, around hip and low back pain, pregnancy, postpartum, et cetera. Um, all of those questions are always like, if you don't want to answer this right now, that's okay. We can talk about it in office or we can talk about it not at all. There's no expectation that if someone has a history of trauma that they need to disclose that to me. Um, it doesn't change anything from my perspective because as you mentioned, I treat um, I provide trauma-informed care, and so I'm trauma-informed regardless and treat you the same way regardless of whether or not I know that you have a trauma history. Um, once people come in, we have a big, like, get-to-know-you section of the appointment where I, I want to know, like, what's your story? Um, what has kind of shaped the experiences you're having? What do you think is going on? Who have you already seen? What have you already tried? Um, because my goal is I never want to waste anyone's time, and I also want to, like, have a really good idea of not just what is happening, but also what it means to you and what it means in your life. 
And then it can look like a bunch of different things. We could do a totally external exam that's more of like a movement exam. Um, We can look at breathing externally with all your clothes on. We could possibly do an external pelvic exam, which would involve taking off, disrobing from the waist down, um, but then but not actually touching the vulva or genitals um, and looking to see what the coordination is like. Um, And it could also involve an internal pelvic muscle exam, depending on whether or not like just kind of what's going on, what your symptoms are, what you're expecting coming into the visit, what information we might want. And I just kind of run people through that. Like, this is what the, this is what this type of exam, the information that will give us, this is the information we, information we get from this type of exam. This is the information we get from this type of exam. What sounds good to you? So it's kind of like a menu. Um, and then always, I, regardless of what we're doing, it's like ongoing. I'll kind of run you through what I what we could do. You'll say, yeah, that sounds good or everything sounds good except this thing. Again, more like a menu. And then as we go through, I'll keep asking like, hey, you, we talked about this. Is that still okay? You will say yes or no or maybe hold up, you know, if sometimes people can't access their voice. And so we have other workarounds for that. But it's always kind of ongoing. Just because you said yes to something one time doesn't mean you're saying yes to it always and forevermore. Yeah. I like how you do check in every step of the way during the visit, you know, just, is this okay? Is this actually what you would want? Is this comfortable for you? And and I think that that's incredibly important because I know for a lot of listeners that are (laughs) probably joining us today who have gone and seen a gynecologist or gone and seen other practitioners, you know, for their various visits, wellness visits, you know, we haven't really necessarily had that in the past. So that's not necessarily an expectation that's been, that's been set for us during these doctor's visits or healthcare practitioner visits. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was very refreshing and um, just to see it. And I obviously experienced it myself because I just, in case I haven't made it clear or in case you haven't caught like Christina and I's Instagram live chat <laughs> that we did, I guess about a year, year and a half ago, because um, it was pre-pandemic. But I did see, you know, Christina for, I actually have a ventral hernia that I was trying not to get repaired just because the idea, honestly, like the idea of of abdominal surgery kind of freaked me out. Um, And I was trying to avoid it, but I also just felt like I was tight in general down there, just in my abdominal area anyways. And, you know, in my forties, a female, and I just wanted everything to, to be checked out just to make sure like, Hey. Are we good with incontinence? Are we good with everything down there? Like, how's everything going? <laughs> so I have seen, you know, Christina, which is why I I, su- I suggest my clients have a, obviously see her and and use her on her team or on their team rather. But you know, I think it's important. Well, and if you don't, mind, yeah, no, go ahead. Sorry, if you don't mind me using you as a little bit of an example, yeah. like you're a great example of someone who really didn't have. Like, yes to the hernia, mm-hmm. but really, like, otherwise things were going pretty well, mm-hmm. except you needed to actually do a little bit more deep breathing mm-hmm. and get some, like, elongation of those muscles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I saw you one time, and then you were like, ah, oh, like, things are <laughs> well, – at least what you told me was, like, things are a little bit better. Yeah. I'm not poking Hannah all the time, the hernia. Yeah. Hannah Hannah the hernia. So, uh, yeah, I did name my, her- my hernia for those of you listening just because I thought, well, I'm not going to get her surgically, you know, taken care of. Might as well name her. She's going to be a-, a lifer until she gives me issues, right? But, uh, but I can't, I, I, you know, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because I don't poke her anymore. Like, I haven't thought about that in a while. <laughs> I love that yes. for you. I really do. It's fantastic news, right? But yeah, I don't even, I don't even really notice her anymore. There's occasional like moments, like maybe the day after like a really heavy lifting day or like heavy obliques or a heavy core, I'll notice her. But, um, 
But for the most part, I don't. And I think it was just a matter of like, hey, I just needed a professional to talk me off the ledge that I normally put myself on. <laughs> and I think a lot of us do, though. So, yeah. yeah. I That's my that's my favorite thing, honestly, is like people people put off. And if I ever were to give anyone advice, it would be this. It's like people put off going to medical providers because they're so afraid that they're going to find out that they are like irreparably broken. Mm -hmm. And the number of times that that actually happens is so small. Um, And especially when, as it relates to pelvic floor, there's a lot of stuff that can be done. Um, And so people put off coming to see me and then because they're really afraid that something, that this is going to be really involved. It's going to take like a million visits and a bunch of time and a bunch of money they don't have only to come and see me and find out that like, actually things are really great. We can check, like, these are the couple suggestions that I have for, you know, whatever things are looking like for you. And we can either follow up in like four to six weeks if you want, or you can just call me if you need me. Um, And so, but then you have all that information and that information is what can be really empowering. No, it's so true because I think I call it going from zero to Hodgkin's in my head, which, you know, it's an awful joke, but it is literally where my brain goes. Um, from like happy, healthy to like, oh God, you know, this is probably awful. And like, I, I'm not going to get it looked at, you know? And sometimes I think you just, you just have mm-hmm. to kind of rip the bandaid off and, and get a little uncomfortable, make the appointment. You know, in fact, I just had a post the other day about me going to the, a physical because I haven't seen a, an actual doctor or PA or NP or what have you in quite a few years. And as a health coach, I was pretty ashamed of that. You know, there was definitely a level of shame for sure surrounding that. So I thought, okay, I just need to do this. Like, I just need to get a a nice snapshot. I tell my clients this all of the time, like get your blood work, get, get looked at why, like I need to do it myself. And of course, like everything came back fine. Um, but Oh God, the anxiety around it, you know? And, and I think that's where, why it's really important for, for folks to find that person, like find that healthcare practi- professional rather that they're comfortable with, you know, and if they don't find someone, then ask someone who mm-hmm. has. And I mean, heck, I'm really comfortable, obviously sharing who I go and see. Um, I did kind of keep quiet my mental health care practitioner just this past year because I really needed her. And I just kind of wanted that. I just wanted one person in my in my network to be my my own like personal private person. But now, of course, I've obviously shared you know her information with with folks. But um, you know, I think it's really important just to have that that care team in your corner and have someone that, that you're comfortable talking with. Because man, if you can't talk about shit, what the hell? Well, right. And also, if you don't trust your providers giving you good advice, like I can tell you that your body's doing like that things are working the way that they should. But if you don't trust my opinion, it's not going to mean anything to you. So now now you've just like it's a waste of your own time and it can make you even more skeptical. So it's really hard to find healthcare providers. And then the insurance system's real messed up. The healthcare system generally is real messed up. And so it's very challenging to navigate. Um, But I do think that if you have the time and the resources and and the the spoons, if you will, the energy to find people that you actually really enjoy and tr- and trust. Even if actually, honestly, you cannot like a provider and still think and still trust them and still think that they care about you. Like there's, mm-hmm. it can it can be interesting, um, but mm-hmm. making sure that you're finding people that you that you do trust and you trust their opinion, um, because otherwise it's just not going to mean very much to you. No, it's true. It's so important to have that that good relationship. Um, and you made, you made a really good point in terms of, hey, you don't necessarily have to like them. 
but you do have to trust them. That's the thing, you know? So I, I love that you said that. I think surgeons are a good example. Yeah. Like surgeons are notorious for having poor bedside man- manner. Um, and there, there is some amount, like I would prefer that not be the case. And also given the option between someone who's nice to me and someone who like has done a gazillion of the surgery that I need exactly. And is the expert, I would pick the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, even as trauma informed as I am and as much as I value that. Um, but when it comes to things like, uh, like your, especially your PCP, I think yeah. physical therapists, although I might be a little biased in that. Like I think finding someone that you like is, is, is extra nice. Um, but trust is certainly number one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. In really anything, any relationship. Right. So I do have a couple of questions from my, my team that I'd love just to get your feedback on. And they of course would love. So, you know, as you know, I'm also hypermobile. So I loved that actually this one particular person asked this, but, um, she asked, do you find hypermobile folks need to do things a little bit differently with their pelvic floor strength or anything else in particular when it comes to just them being hypermobile in general? Yes. Um, so we, we do know that, that hypermobile people are probably a little bit more likely to have one hypertonic pelvic floors. So pelvic floors that are on more often and also sometimes pelvic pain. So with that, I think about it in terms of your pelvis is like the most is your foundational piece, right? And so it's in the center of your body. It holds your legs to your torso, like a lot of your kind of where your center of mass is, you know, there a lot of stuff is kind of right in there. Um, and so for lots of people, I'm one of those physical therapists that's like strength and um, coordination is important, but I don't necessarily get into like the nittiest, grittiest of movement details because I generally think that we are all moving all the time. And if our movement is functional for the things that we're asking our bodies to do, that's enough. We don't need to like add all this mental strain into it is, is my philosophy. With that said, for folks who are hypermobile, I get a little bit more into the nitty gritty because there's more compensatory stuff that can be impactful on like joints, for example, um, more kind of wonky stuff. People will rely on their mm-hmm. ligaments rather than on their muscular, their musculature. Um, and so, and especially in the context of then pregnancy, delivery, postpartum, um, that is something that I spend quite a lot of time thinking about relative to like what your muscles in your pelvis are actually doing that's the same, right? Like Kegels are like bicep curls for your pelvic floor. Um, and th- that's the same whether or not you're hypermobile. <laughs> I'm now I'm never going to think of Kegels the same. <laughs> Doing bicep curls for my pelvic floor. <laughs> curls for the no, girls. <laughs> curls for the girls. Um, <laughs> or that's <both>. amazing. Actually. <laughs> yeah, it really, just everyone. Um, so I think about Kegels is being like bicep curls for the pelvic floor. And if you wanted to be able to do a chin up, right, you would need to have strong biceps to do that. And also non-step bicep curls are not going to get you to be able to do a chin up. So you can have a strong pelvic floor um, that you have strengthened to be a Kegels and you still might not be able to do all of the athletic things you want to be able to do because when it comes to those bigger compound, more um, higher level activities, it takes more than just brute muscle strength in that singular muscle group. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Now I'm looking at my anatomy a little bit differently (laughs) (laughs) in a good way, in a good way. Um, so, you know, I, before I came and saw you, you know, 
I'm a meditator. Sure. I've been meditating for like over 20 years, whatever. But let me tell you, even though we're doing something doesn't necessarily mean that we're actively doing it throughout the day or whenever we need anything. Right. And that being said, breathing. So even though I'm a meditator and I think breath work is incredibly important, like when you saw me and, and we, we, mess, we mentioned this earlier, just like I wasn't deep breathing enough or I wasn't just relaxed as much as I should be. So I know for you, you find the breath incredibly important, as do I, um, for you know my clients, just for different reasons or also similar reasons. So I'd love to hear your opinion about how important do you find the breath is with the patients that you see on average? Sure. So breathing is something we're all doing all the time. Um, mm-hmm. And it's something that involves the entire like abdominal cavity, right? So um, what should happen when we take a deep breath is that our diaphragm should come down because when our diaphragm contracts, it it moves inferiorly, moves down towards the floor if you're in standing. Um, your abdominal muscles should elongate and your pelvic floor muscles should come down. And the reason for that is that because your diaphragm is coming down, it's putting more pressure in that intra-abdominal cavity um, and your organs want to have a place to go. And so where that place could be would be to be out towards your abdomen and down towards your pelvic floor. And if you're able to do that in a coordinated way over and over again, you're kind of maintaining your intra-abdominal pressure and reducing um the amount that your intra-abdominal pressure is increasing. So that's something I generally think about. That's not to say that there's only one right, white, one right way to breathe, um, <laughs> but that is to say that being able to breathe in multiple different ways and like that movement variability piece can be hugely important. Um, mm-hmm. Also, because that's kind of an innate pattern for folks, assuming that it hasn't gotten wonky for a whole bunch of reasons, not limited to pregnancy, um, Western beauty ideals that have us sucking our guts in all the time, mm-hmm. um, or just like high stress trauma breathing where we use our chest more often, um, or high level of athletics where you have to, you know, do different things in your core. Um, any of that can make things wonky, but oftentimes because it's kind of an innate, innate patterning, I will often rely on the breath to try and get people's pelvic floor muscles to elongate and relax, which is one of the things that is most often missing. So for example, for you, it wasn't necessarily your pelvic floor, but your lower abdomen um, just wasn't, and, and not even relaxing like turned off because relaxing would be kind of that like lobby level mm-hmm. analogy, but kind of, e- mm-hmm. I, I, sorry, eccentrically being loaded and elongating with control. And that's kind of that moving down into the basement. Yeah. And I think it's a great I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, it <laughs> It did. No, it totally did. You know, I think there's just, there needs to be a little bit of a pause and recognition for everyone who's listening about, you know, just check in even right now as you're listening. How are you breathing? Are you breathing a little bit more in your upper chest? Or are you noticing that you're breathing a little bit more with your belly um, or a little bit lower at least, or maybe it's somewhere in between. And I mean, breath work is incredibly important for me because I also have vocal cord dysfunction, which I know some of the listeners do have as well. So it's one of those things where, you know, it can just make such a difference um, with everything, you know, kind of going on and just check in with your breath a little bit more. I think it's incredibly important. So thanks for talking about that. All right. We're going to wrap it up with one final question, just because this is, again, a really common thing that I see with athletes, especially my CrossFit athletes. Uh, you know, who do double unders or my strength athletes who are pulling heavy ass shit off of the ground with heavy deadlifts and things like that. Sometimes there's a little bit of, 
a little bit of piddling, a little bit of, you know, incontinence, a little, a little squirt of some urine. And I think it's incredibly important to just talk about how, while it might be common, you know, it isn't necessarily quote unquote normal. And, you know, what would you suggest for athletes who are experiencing this, you know, like reach out to a pelvic floor PT, obviously, but you know, what, what would you kind of suggest for them? Yeah. So that kind of goes back to that kind of bicep curl versus chin up analogy. So you could even have, so oftentimes, especially higher level athletes are like, oh, I must, my pelvic floor must just not be strong enough. Most of the time, that's not what I'm seeing. The very nature of, especially as a strength athlete, where you're, you're lifting a bunch of weight, um, your, your pelvic floor muscles are growing and being, and co-contracting when you use your ab muscles and use your glute muscles and your adductors. So that's less often the issue. Sometimes it's a coordination thing. Sometimes it's a hypertonicity thing, right? Where the, the muscles get really big and turn and they're very active and they're active in times when they should actually be not active or less active. Um, and they just fatigue out. Um, so what I normally suggest is I start with, I actually start with the breathing. I normally see, um, and so this kind of depends on what, what you're lifting. You want to start at lower rates because you're not going to go into a one rep max and not be bracing and holding your breath. But I would see if you, depending on how much weight you're lifting when you start to leak, what happens if instead of bracing out, you actually exhale through the lifting phase? Do you still leak? Is that possible? Like how does that feel in the rest Mm -hmm. of your body as well? Um, Which is why we normally start lower weight and then work our way back up. Um, If you're wearing a belt, do you need to be wearing that belt? Can you forego the belt? How does that feel? Does that contribute to your leaking? Um, Trying to think of anything else. Uh, for CrossFit athletes, um, especially with double unders, a lot sometimes it's actually just the fact that like you're trying to get the rope around twice, and the anxiety causes all of your muscles to turn on, and like you're not getting like this a reasonable tension to task, and all of this uh, muscular activation can contribute to the leakage. So doing, I would train high singles before you go to doubles, um, and see if you leak during the high singles. The high singles. Mm-hmm. And of course, see a pelvic floor physical therapist. Yeah, because then there's just not... yeah, well, of course, of course, of course. Because then, at least with the high singles, you don't have, you know, you don't have like that anxiety of trying to get that that second jump around, and yeah. just all of the stuff that goes along with double unders. You know, especially if you haven't necessarily nailed them. Um, and for those of you who are kind of wondering if you, if you're not aware, double unders are just where you're jumping rope and the rope passes underneath your feet twice. So. It can be a little bit of a timing issue. I know it was for me when I was first learning. Um, even though I can dance, I could not double under to save my life. And I was definitely, uh, I couldn't double under to save my life. And I couldn't, I couldn't reverse bear walk for, to, for some reason. Like it was so, it was so <laughs> awkward at first. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> hey, you have to kind of make fun of yourself during all of this. Oh yeah. um, I mean, I can't double under. I, my issue, leaking is not my issue. I just keep hitting my ankles. Like it's just not, it's, (laughs) I'm not good at it. (laughs) Yeah. And I double under with this like exposed metal rope. It's a speed rope. Absolutely not. So man, if you miss, oh God, I look like I've been whipped, you know, like on my forearms, on my, it's hit my face before. I mean, it's, you know, always a good time. So Christina, Anything else you want to add before, before we kind of sign off here? I mean, I also do want to ask, you know, obviously how folks can find you and things like that, but anything that maybe I might've missed? 
I mean, there's stuff that we can always talk about. <laughs> there always is. I snuck my advice in before you asked because I just I wanted to make sure that it was discussed. The whole like, if you have concerns, please go find a pro t- that you trust to be on your team. Um, other than that, like, I think if there are things yes. going on in your body, rather than facing those things with like a lot of fear and a lot of like this thing, I don't know, weak pelvic floor, pelvic organ prolapse, painful intercourse, not like trying not to let your brain go into oh my God, I am so broken, but instead trying to kind of encounter those things with a lot of curiosity. Like, what does this mean? How can this be changed? What can be changed? What can't be changed? Um, And trying to, I think that like little bit of a shift can sound really easy, but actually be quite challenging to embody, but it can make a really big difference in the way that you perceive your own body, your own health and your medical care. Um, And I recommend finding providers who also talk to you that way. Right. So I think you've probably seen this in health coaching and I certainly see it in physical therapy where there's a lot of fear mongering and like, I need you to feel bad so that you will buy my services. Um, and recognizing that that is not inherently true, um, Mm -hmm. while still being proactive, doing, controlling the things you can control and feel important to control and knowing that there are pros out there that can help you navigate things, even if they feel heavy, shamey, challenging, um, confusing, um, there are people out there. Definitely. And I think, you know, the more people that you can have in your corner that whom you trust, the more supported you're going to feel in general and just the better you're going to feel, you know, and you're not going to have all this damn fucking anxiety. Like just go and see a doctor, go and see somebody, you know, I can't, I can't say it enough because I, you know, it's still so fresh for me, obviously in the past week. You talk so I just yeah. want to talk to people and, and talk them off the ledge just talk, talk them off the ledge and just go and see someone and, you know, they'll feel so much better having the knowledge of what they're, what's going on in their body, how everything's going. If something is wrong, you know, or something is a little astray, it can be corrected. Generally speaking, you know, like that's the thing is like a majority mm-hmm. of things can be corrected or can kind of be right it a little bit. And, and I think that we just kind of need to, we need to realize that, you know? So yeah. Thanks for, thanks for talking with me today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for yeah. answering all these lovely questions. And I'd love for you to share how people can find you. So Instagram website, all of that. Yeah. Instagram is great. Um, Christina.holland. I've got the funky letters in my name, K R Y S T Y N A. Um, and my website is www.inclusivecarellc.com. Um, and you know, Instagram does its funky stuff all the time. So I don't know. We'll, we'll see how that all develops. Um, but I am also currently looking at start trying to create, um, an online community to talk about like medically accurate facts about sex, um, and, and provide some more support in some of these, you know, more taboo or, or stigmatized arenas. Um, without big brother of purity culture, Instagram watching. So look out for that. But honestly, um, getting on my email list is probably the best and you can do that on my website. Awesome. And I will link everything in the show notes. So if you didn't catch that, you were maybe driving or you were a little distracted, don't worry. Just check the show notes after you're done listening to this podcast. Everything will be in there as well as, you know, just some, some links that you can kind of share. If you have anyone in your life who might be interested in also seeing a pelvic floor PT, you know, maybe it's even your parents, who knows, you know, that's the thing is pelvic floor PT is for everybody 
and everybody, you know, like all bodies, it really is. And I can't say that enough, you know, it doesn't matter age, gender, everything in between it. I I can't speak enough uh, highly about it. Um, Highly enough about it rather. Words are hard, I guess today. Not good for, not, not good for a podcast, but thank you so much, Christina. Again, it was awesome seeing you and I don't know, maybe I could convince you in coming in, coming on one more time later, 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 just to talk about anything going on, uh, especially if you do launch that membership site. Okay. Yeah. That sounds great. Thanks so much for having me, Jen. All right. Thanks. <laughs>